You're now listening to Sound of Sanity. This sound will continue for the duration of the program. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Sound of Sanity, another episode. It's the beautiful month of August, and I couldn't be more happy to be giving some sanity. I know you've been feeling insane. I understand. Now, get ready to bask in some sanity. And who's basking with you? Why, it's Ben Solzer. I'm right here. The king of the baskers. Yep. So people call me the baskalisk. The baskalisk. <laughs> the hound of the Baskerville. <laughs> That's right. The hound of the Baskerville. <laughs> <laughs> that dangerous and deadly. The Basker creature. Weaver. Actually, Basker Weaver sounds kind of cool. The Basker Weaver. <laughs> now, let's also, though, we need to meet the pastor who's a master of Basker. <laughs> Jacob Baskerville. Metzl. Baskerville, yeah. yeah. Hi, Jake. What's up? Life's to play basketball. You know, guys, we basketball. don't bask. Basketball. Our. Our list, Ben. <laughs> <laughs> Words fail me. <laughs> words just failed me. Words fa- <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> yeah, really, words fail you is what I meant. <laughs> I saw a Crossway article. This is what I want to talk about. I saw a Crossway article that said, I don't even remember the, the title now, but the headline was something like, Help! I'm getting behind on my Bible reading, or I can't keep up with my Bible reading, or something like that. And so, I didn't actually read the Crossway article, but it just made me think, let's talk about what we do to read the Bible and to keep up with our Bible reading, or whether we keep up with our Bible reading. I thought I'd ask you guys about this. Jake, you just stirred as if you had some thoughts you wanted to share. I mean, sure. So, my normal approach is to have a plan and then to just work through the plan at my own pace and not be bothered if I get off the calendar. So I normally Mm -hmm. go with McShane's Bible reading program. McShane has like a four chapter, four different readings a day kind of thing. I don't do that. I read through it linearly and I try to get in at least one chapter a day. And if I miss a day or whatever, I don't feel like, oh, no, I've got to catch up for February's reading. I just let myself fall behind because I've had too much experience of getting bound up, you know, falling behind, having it get overwhelming and then derail me entirely and then going weeks or months without reading my Bible because I can't catch up. And that's just stupid. It's just a bad mentality to have. It's much better to just be like, you know what? Getting back on my feet today is better than catching up, you know. Reading for one minute is better than reading for zero minutes. And so that that's my regular approach. Now, I'm doing it a little bit differently now. I've been doing uh, the same page summer challenge that I think started in Moscow. A whole bunch of churches across the country and people across the country all reading the New Testament at the same pace. I mean, it's nice, but it's four chapters a day, which is challenging, but not so challenging um, that you can't keep up with it. And then they build in catch-up days and things like that, which is nice. I got derailed last week because I had a bunch of travel I had to do for Presbytery and stuff with house sales and whatever. 
uh, last week we were reading through Matthew. So I found myself in a position where I was only on like Matthew 10 by the time we were supposed to be finishing up with Matthew. I just decided I'm ditching. I'm jumping off of Matthew. I'm jumping into Titus and I'm going to keep on pace with everybody else. And at the end of the summer, if that's the only place I get off track, I will have read the entire New Testament except for a couple chapters of Matthew, and then I can go back and be a completionist if I want to or not. But that allows me to keep moving and not get, because it moves at such a pace, and part of the goal is to be on the same page with, you know, it's called Same Page Summer, so. so that's just another approach. But for me, it really just all amounts to keep moving forward, keep getting on your feet, do what it takes. The other alternative that I was going to do, I actually am reading, reading, and I also thought, well, one way to catch up in Matthew is to flip over to audio and just everywhere I go in the car, but that really wasn't going to work for me either for various reasons. So those are my hot tips, I guess. Tips and tricks. Yeah. Hmm. I had a friend, a roommate, when I was in my 20s, who somehow decided that he was going to tithe I forget what the number was. I want to say it was more than 10%. I don't know. He figured out how much of a tithe God wants. And then he decided that he was going to tithe that much of his time. To Bible reading. To Bible reading. So he figured out what 10% of his week would be. or I think it was actually 20% of his week. 2.4 hours a day or something. And he failed miserably at this ambitious plan. I think he did it one day and then... Realized that... Two and a half hours a day of Bible reading is an awful lot. It's an awful lot. And and then he had days where he didn't read anything. And it's always stuck in my mind as a placeholder for the the kind of bind that you're thinking, like, I'm going to make a really awesome, ambitious, cool plan to be the holiest person that I know. And then it's going to be so ambitious that the first time I trip and stumble, I'll be so far behind and out of whack that I give up entirely. Yeah. Yeah. Stupid. That's foolish. Ben, your thoughts? Hmm. Well, I haven't had a plan in a long time, which is probably too bad. I think it's been a while since I've even tried to follow a plan. I've looked at McShane, and what I've defaulted to is just going through the Bible. Mm -hmm. But what I've really defaulted to in the past couple of years is listening to a lot of the Bible. And in the past year, since I've so much of my work is either doing the same thing over and over again in one location or driving somewhere for a time. I just put on the Bible and I find that sometimes that actually means that I'll listen to a lot more than I would just read Mm -hmm. in a sitting. And it can be really nice. I don't always have the endurance to listen to all of Romans, but sometimes I feel like I just want to hear it all. Like, I just want it. And if I were sitting down and reading it, I don't think I would. I would get through. That you would persevere, yeah. No, And that's too bad, I guess, but listening to it has been such a gift. So I find that these days when I sit down to read, I'm either reading with my wife, like I read a chapter with her, Mm -hmm. or maybe one chapter of the gospel and a psalm. And that's really helpful. Or that I just want something I can pray through right there, like that I can focus on and pray through. And I don't think listening is a total substitute for for reading because you get different things. But reading it, listening to, hearing like a giant chunk of Jeremiah some days has been like, it's just super helpful to me, especially if I'm depressed. I don't know. But if you listen to a giant swath of Ecclesiastes or something, 
mm -hmm. than you would read. You you connect more dots if you listen to big chunks like that. Yeah, so, well, and doing the audio version for me is always encouraging because when I look at a book like Romans, I'm like, oh man, this is so many pages and it's so dense. But then I listen to it and it's like each chapter is like, I see the time codes and it's like three minutes or something like it's that. Right, it's not actually that much. It doesn't. It actually takes you like less than an hour or something. I mean, I don't know exactly, but it's not more than two hours, let's say, no. off the top of my head. But if you're listening, you have one very different pressure and one very different pressure release, right? Hmm. If you're reading it on the page, you have this pressure to actually understand everything that you're reading right. as that's you read right. it. So you that's read right. much slower than somebody who's simply reading out loud. And that's going to be true of almost any place you are in scripture, except for maybe a purely narrative place. True. You know, so first and second Samuel, maybe you get through that or judges, you get through a chapter quicker or Genesis or, you know, something like that. Some of the narrative chunks of Exodus, whatever you get through that quickly. Cause it's just telling the story of how this happened, giving this history, but in something that's theological, like Romans, you're going to, it's going to slow you down because you're going to be like, wait, what did I, you don't have the option of saying, wait, what, while you're listening, unless you're <clears throat> going back and going back mm -hmm. and going back and going back, That's right. which then puts a different pressure on you to either say, I have to be a super active, engaged listener, or I have to accept the fact that I'm not going to catch and fully understand as if you could ever fully understand, but right. I'm not going to really grasp everything that I'm hearing and that's okay. The, the listeners in the early churches would have been in the same position. Mm, that's interesting. And so that's that's True. okay. <clears throat> I can trust God that I will hear what I need to hear if I just, you know, try to stay engaged and prayerful as I listen. I think they're two different experiences and they're both worthy experiences. And yeah. there's a reason why Paul tells Timothy to give himself to the public reading of the word. Mm -hmm. And it's good for us to listen. Faith comes by hearing. It's good for yeah. us to hear it. I, well, I think what you just said, Jake, raises another interesting point, which is, I don't remember as a kid being taught like, hey, sometimes be sure that you just read through, because we didn't have audio Bibles when I was a kid, or, or no, we did, but I didn't, anyway, I didn't listen to them. So, they were on cassette tapes, giant books with cassette tapes. Be sure that you like, sometimes you just read through a whole letter at a time. Yeah. Because you'll get something that you won't, because for me, I just remember... E this still happens but to me. But that's the way it would have happened in the churches, right? Like when it's a when it's a letter, you would have heard the letter. You would have heard the entire letter. Hey, Corinthians, gather around. Um, We're going to sit and read through this entire thing. You and you, but you forget that you don't get. Like if you if you listen to Romans, I'm listening and I'm like, oh, he's repeating the same idea in chapter 13 that he was talking about in chapters three and four. That's not good literary style. And I just, <laughs> oh, I didn't really think that, but I just thought I never paid attention to that. You would to never me, have caught Yeah, to, because to me, they're, you, they're separate units. spread out, right? Then it's not about the same thing. By the time you get to Romans 13, it's like you're in a different world. Well, if you're just thinking chapter by chapter. The reason I made that joke about that's not good literary style is because it actually makes sense of some of the oh, ways that yeah. the Apostle Paul writes. Like he actually is repetitive in a way that helps yeah. audi auditory learning. Yeah. You know, he'll come back, he'll circle yeah. around yeah. to the same yep. things, yep. Yep. go off on a tangent, and then come back and make the same point. Yeah, he's anticipating, in some ways you see him anticipating you forgetting or not remembering something that he said 
on the previous page. Which right? I'm the kind of person that yeah. maybe it's just because I'm involved one way or another with words enough in my life. I get really bogged down in things like, well, why did he feel the need to repeat that? He must be saying something completely different or there must be something that yeah. I'm missing. And, and a lot of like, times the answer not necessarily, is not really. Yeah. It's just that I keep feeling the need to, hey, Philippians, one of the things that I really want you to take away from all of this is rejoice. Mm -hmm. Like, so I'm going to keep saying it. I'm going to say that I'm going to keep saying it. I'm going to acknowledge that I've kept saying it. And I'm going to say that it's no trouble to me to keep saying it. Like- yeah. Because <laughs> that's what I want you to take away. Yeah, that's really important. You know, Romans is a letter that you don't even understand what the purpose of it is until you get to chapter 16. And then you realize, oh, Paul has never been to Rome. He never writes letters to places he hasn't been, but he feels a need to make an apology for the gospel he preaches because he wants them to send him on to preach in Spain. And so the reason we get this big, doctrinal treaties opening up the mystery of the gospel in a way that we don't see anywhere else in scripture is actually because Paul is saying, see, I'm legit. And when I come to you, I really hope that you'll have bought into me as a dude, because I know there are a lot of rumors out there about me. Here's my ticket. Here's my card. I see what I see, how I have taught you and instructed you in the gospel in ways that you didn't understand. Now, please, when I come, be ready to, to help me receive me and help send me on to Spain. Like that's actually the whole purpose of, not the whole purpose, but the, the principal purpose of the mm -hmm. letter to Romans. That explains a whole lot of what's going on and why that letter is written the way it is, but you don't get there until you get to the very 16, end. Mm -hmm. it's, it is important to just have those big picture ideas in your head when you come to, and that was huge for me when I first became a Christian. I did just do a straight read through of the New Testament, like quick. Hmm. I actually did it two or three times. And that was a big deal for me and helping me understand even the basics. You know, I, so much as a new Christian went in one ear and out the other. But I did have enough handles that when I went back and actually read, read, you know, books of the Bible, I had a, I had a lot more handles for understanding them. Yeah, I so so I grew up in early years, you know, and my dad's background is kind of a Pentecostal background. And they would be very topical and very tiny little passage yeah. focused. Yeah. And so my dad actually knew the Bible about as well as anybody I've ever met. But the way that he read the Bible is he would read like three verses in Romans. I think we, me and my dad, when I was young, went through Romans together and it would be like one or two verses and we would just do these, these deep dives. I'm not going to say that that was all bad, but what, it, what it's actually developed in me is I can do that. I can zero in on something. Like I can, mm -hmm. I don't know hmm. what a recent example is, but I, I hit some interesting laws in Leviticus and I just spent a lot of time thinking about why, would, why did God arrange his law that way? You know, I can do that kind of thing. Or I can do the big picture stuff. Where I am really weak is anything in the middle. Like I can, I, this this goes for hmm. all my reading, you know, I can sweep you through a, a novel. You a great telescope and you've got a great microscope <laughs> but i don't just have but eyes you, but you, can't, you can't just see the world <laughs> yeah no it's it's really true it's a weakness and it, 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 it i'm thinking of the old woody allen joke he took a speed reading class they read war and peace it involves russia um i can do that kind of thing okay i get the big ideas out of this or i can do like that was really cool but to just sit and read 
you know, Romans 7 and Romans 8, let's say, and kind of see the sweep and get most of what's, not that you can even get most, but you know what I'm saying, kind of just grab the, Yeah. that is difficult for me. There's ways in which I compensate for that. There's also ways in which I just accept that. Yeah. I, I guess, actually, it would be a lie to say I compensate too much for, or I I haven't really tried. Point, I haven't tried to. Accepted, I haven't so. tried to fix that. What I've tried to do is give myself enough microscope combined with macroscope that telescope we call with it. telescope. Yeah, that's that's the word. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, try, I try to. Yeah, I like that. What I'll actually do a lot of times in both my Bible reading and my, you know, anything else that I'm reading, a book for the booking or something, is I will go through it macro really fast, but I will just simply note things. You know, even with a highlighter or, or if it's Kindle, I'll just highlight it or something like I want to come back and microscope that. I don't understand that. But right now I would just get bored or bogged down or something if I stopped. And so I like go through it once macro and then I go through it once. Yeah, I've heard you talk about that a lot about your, I mean, you basically skim a whole book, wrap your head around the plot yeah, and then come back and zero in on sections. That's the way that you read yeah. anything. Huh. Yeah, is my has been my take. Yeah, I think that that's true. Unless because, you're listening to it on audio, but well, then you probably listen on one and a half or two times. I listen on like two point five or three a lot of times, honestly. Yeah, that um, surprise me. I just have this. Uh, it's not the right word, but I have this lust to know what the big picture is, and until I've satisfied that, it's hard for me to slow down. And it is. There's probably some sin in there and weakness, especially with Bible reading, in that I just don't want to do the work of going through something at a slower pace or yeah it is work there's some laziness mm. there i will cop to that but it also really does help me to have the big picture before mm-hmm. i'm going to like if i get lost in the weeds before i have the big picture on something you know it's just really hard for me to then get out of the weeds and go back into the the flow mm-hmm. of things and so even with a book like romans which i've read my whole life and i know pretty well if i go back to it after a while it's nice to fly through it and remind myself of the big picture again before doing anything else. And I don't know, how do you guys feel about, you know, mm. some people do go through the Bible slowly, like a couple of verses or that There's, sort of thing. Sometimes you have to, I, I don't know, it sounds like... You, all, there's there's all different kinds of readings, right? There is the telescopic thing, which you need, and there's the min- totally minuscule thing, which you also need. I think that being able to move back and forth is is really important in developing as much versatility as you can. I'm absolutely for people doing the microscopic thing. But not at the expense of the telescopic. No, you have to. I don't think you can effectively do the microscopic thing without the telescopic. No, view, you can't. So long as we're talking in these terms, there's no way to actually dig down into a, a verse without fully having done the work of understanding the context. And unless you're Kabbalistic mm-hmm. and it's all just mysticism, right? Like mm-hmm. if you believe that part of our understanding of this letter or this book is understanding who it was written to, who it was written by, what were the motivations behind it, what was the historical context, mm-hmm. and that the Holy Spirit inspired all of those things. Yeah. And you don't have to dig in and try to pull some mystical meaning out of the words and do some voodoo and chant over it then need to un- you actually need to do some work to understand the context before you get into mm-hmm. that microscopic mm-hmm. 
view of things. And here's the thing about that too. Very few people are actually equipped to do the microscopic version and do it well. And there's a reason why God appointed pastors and teachers. I'm not saying that every layman can understand the Bible and should give himself to the study of God's word and should be able to hold up what he's hearing preached to him to to the standard of God's word. On the one hand, on the other hand, no, let no one think more highly of himself than he ought, especially when it comes to his ability to dig down deep into the minutia of scripture. Yeah. When I say dig down deep, what I really mm-hmm. mean is I read Calvin or something like that. Like, well, yeah. just, oh, I wonder what that well, that's, means. That's sitting at the foot of a teacher. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It just and, who's the teacher that I need to find on this? And it's almost always John Calvin, but it can be other people. Yeah. I mean, um, when you can't go wrong, if you're talking about picking teachers, Calvin's as good a teacher as anybody. You're not going to listen to much that I say that I I didn't pick up from Calvin somehow, some way. So. Calvin's pretty great. I, I will say, I was, so preparing for licensure and ordination, I was required to have a basic outline of Romans and Galatians. Mm-hmm. That, that actually, that's the kind of work. Once I did it, I was like, oh, a very basic outline, like these three chapters are this, and these three chapters are this, is super helpful and easy to carry around. And that's the kind of work I never did until I was forced to do it. Once you do it, you're like, okay. That's really I, smart and helpful. This is a nice handle to have it to be able to. It doesn't take that much work. And the work it takes, it pays back because you can hold it. So, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. One other thing that I want to say, I am just now figuring out how to lead and instill Bible reading habit in my kids. And something to a degree that I have neglected uh, to incur to to really have any kind of plan for any kind of way to encourage with my kids for them to be reading the Bible on their own outside of family devotions, it's been really sweet and fun. I don't. I'd love to hear what other parents do out there. But what we've been doing is we pick a book of the Bible. To, we don't have a plan. We pick a book of the Bible together as a family and just try to go through it a chapter at a day. Each everybody try to get it in, and then if we have family dinner then that's a great time to ask a question or something like Mm. that about what you read that day. So I don't know. That's worked out okay so far and encourage you guys to find ways to do something like that and would love to hear some of your thoughts or ideas for your kids. So let us know. Let me know. Another fine day of working out. Yes, sir, I do love it so. Oh, who am I kidding? This is only the second time this month I've been able to get to the gym and I forgot my coffee today. Well, uh, here goes nothing. Why, look there, Gary. Do my eyes deceive me, Walter? No, indeed, Gary. It's Lance. Lance Redford. Good morning, Lance. Uh, good morning, Walter and Gary. Is that a question, Lance? Because the answer is, not for us, Lance. Because you're here, Lance. You change our lives just by existing, Lance. For the worst, Lance. You're like a pair of stinky athletic socks, Lance. You're too much, Lance. And yet not enough, Lance. Okay, one, I picked the wrong day to forget my coffee. And two, aren't you guys more like the pair of stinky socks? Because, you know, you're a pair and you stink. Was that wit, Lance? Uh, I think it was his best shot, Walter. Look, there's no way you guys work at this gym. There's no way you work out at this gym, Lance. Or any gym, Lance. I've never seen you guys behind this desk before. You've rarely been in front of this desk, Lance. So it's no surprise you're ignorant, Lance. Not to mention flaccid, Lance. Physically weak, Lance. Hey, I'm in pretty good shape as it happens, and I do come here. 
in good shape, Lance? Like a decent Santa Claus-shaped Lance? Like a decent Jabba the Hutt-shaped Lance? Like a decent I'm a Cube of Jello-shaped Lance? Like a Flaccid-shaped Lance? Physically weak-shaped Lance? You come here all the time, Lance? As in you drive past this building all the time, Lance? As in you walk in the doors and out again to ease your conscience, Lance? And you're out of breath when you get done with that, Lance? Because you're that weak, Lance? As in, you're a big fat liar, Lance? Emphasis on fat, Lance? Look, my doctor says my BMI is just fine, guys. So your doctor's a big fat liar too, Lance? Emphasis on liar, Lance? Hey, that's it. You guys are the worst, and fine. Okay, I don't come in here all the time, but I do come in here regularly in... Sure, Lance. You're here on a regular basis, Lance. We We believe believe you, Lance. Lance. Regular as in every time your wife kicks you out of the house, Lance. But we know that's not true, Lance. You'd be in better shape, Lance. Uh, You'd be Arnold Schwarzenegger, Lance. Okay, fine. What do you guys know about fitness anyhow? When's the last time you looked in a mirror? Uh, My triceps are sore every day, Lance. My quadriceps are sore every other day, Lance. Because we work out, Lance. Every day, Lance. At least we're committed, Lance. And if you think your insulting comments will get a rise out of us... Think again, Lance. Because we have self-control, Lance. We practice self-control, Lance. Every day, Lance. Unlike you, Lance. Uh Uh-huh. You know, I think it takes a lot of self-control not to punch you guys in the face. I think I have a pretty good self-control, actually. Violence, Lance? How disappointing, Lance. I hope you're making a list of things to work on, Lance. Maybe starting with read your Bible, Lance? Oh, for Pete's sake, I do read my Bible. Then you'd know that it condemns violence, Lance. We read it every day, Lance. So we know what it says, Lance. We read it before our morning workout sessions, Lance. Well, I read my Bible a lot, too, so there. And by your Bible, you mean the Book of Mormon, don't you, Lance? Working on that planet, are we, Lance? You'll need to work a little harder, Lance. Maybe you could have a tiny planet, Lance. One without any life on it, Lance. How about amoebas, Walter? Too generous by half, Gary. I think you'll get some amoebas on your dumb little planet, Lance. Gary is more generous than I, Lance. I do not read the Book of Mormon, and I don't want my own planet. If you did, maybe you'd have a little more discipline in your life, Lance. Maybe you'd try a little harder, Lance. Oh, I read the actual Bible. If we were Mormons, we'd have that planet in our sights, Lance. It would be an awesome planet, Lance. We wouldn't settle for anything less, Lance. We wouldn't be satisfied with mud pies in the slums, Lance. I am not a Mormon. Well, it's just as well, Lance. You'd be a mediocre Mormon, Lance. Well, I'd rather be a mediocre Christian. Oh, you are, Lance. (laughs) Mediocrity is what you're good at, Lance. Are you convicted about your lack of discipline, Lance? Wish you were more like us, Lance. Wish you read your Bible every day, Lance? We use the Robert Murray McShane reading plan, Lance. Robert Murray McShane is like our best friend, Lance. Two words you don't understand, Lance. Best and friend, Lance? Because you've never experienced either one, Lance. Say it all, Robert Murray McShane is dead. Kind of like you if you spent 10 minutes on the treadmill, Lance? Kind of like you after one rep at 20 pounds, Lance? Wish you worked out every day, Lance? So you could have a body like mine, Lance? Gross. Maybe if you worked out for a year, you could have a body like Danny DeVito, Lance. Body like John Goodman, Lance. That'd be better than you guys. Wish you had a little more self-control, Lance. So you weren't so nasty to talk with, Lance. And then you'd have a prayer life, Lance. Good point, Walter. You need a prayer life, Lance. Okay, look, you know, to answer all your questions, not that you got a right to ask any of them. Okay, I'm not great at any of those things, but I'm trying, and that's all I have to say about that period. Now, if you do really work here... Why don't you help me get on my way to my morning workout by grabbing me a towel from the back, all right? Oh, we don't work here, Lance. We were just messing with you, Lance. Generally, we wouldn't be caught dead in this dump, Lance. Only an idiot would come here, Lance. And we don't know where the attendant is, Lance. This place needs to be run better, Lance. Kind of like your life, Lance. Ah! (laughs) 
I guess let's just take a step back. We sort of started by being practical. Uh, now let's actually end by being a little bit more theoretical here. Uh, let's let's get a little bit more telescopic, guys. We've been microscopic enough. What are some of the principles that you need to remember in reading the Bible? Well, one thing is that there's a lot that you can understand about the Bible just simply reading it. God has bent down to us pretty low um, and made a lot of things really, really plain. But there's a whole lot of the Bible that, especially as you're just getting started, is hard to understand. A lot of it, you just need to... So let's take an example of how people talk and think about catechizing their kids. Oh, well, why should I catechize my catechizing your kids is just teaching them the basics of scripture, right? What, what the Bible teaches. Why should I catechize my kids? They don't even understand it. Well, part of what you're doing is you're creating space for them to be able to understand it down the road by teaching them the language and the grammar of the Bible and of theology. And so as they mature in understanding and as their hearts come alive to the Lord, they'll have all of this wood that's piled mm-hmm. up to be set on fire, right, by the Holy Spirit. And, and it's the same sort of thing with reading your Bible. Things will click into place down the line yeah. as you mm-hmm. understand more and more the scope of Scripture. The New Testament came in the context of thousands of years of Old Testament and Old Testament living. And there are things in the New Testament that once you understand the Old Testament become way more clear and plain. Mm -hmm. You're not going to read the book of Hebrews as your very first book of the Bible that you've ever read and have much context to understand. There's a lot that you will understand about the supremacy of Jesus and what he has done. And there will be great things you can take away. But there's so much more there if you have the context of the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. On the flip side of that, you're not going to be able to read and understand as much of the Old Testament without understanding it through the lens of the fulfillment of the Old Testament, which we already have in Christ. Mm -hmm. And so they're just interconnected. And you can get bound up about that and be like, I can't understand any of it unless I understand all of it. But no, that's not that's not how we approach that. What we do is we just dive in and try to understand as much of it as we can and trust that things will click into place for us the more that we read and give ourselves to reading and understanding the Bible and the more that we sit under faithful teaching and preaching of God's word. Well, and so much of that is, I love your analogy of gathering wood and lighting it on fire because I tend to get so bogged down by the wood gathering and just like, when's the fire? Yeah. You know, I was always bad at school because I was like, why do I need to know geography? Why do I need to know these stupid facts? And what I wish I'd understood is, you know, the thing that every classical educator understands, which is eventually you will have a framework and a moral imperative to go do something with those facts. And then those facts yeah. will be useless. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Freudian slip there. And then those facts will be useful. But a kid... An eight-year-old kid doesn't need mm-hmm. to get the moral imperative and the, like, he's not he's not going to set the fire. He's just gathering yeah. wood. And that's yeah. kind of boring the, and the, it's work. The more wood there is, the more, and it doesn't really matter the field, right? The more wide and vast your knowledge, the more handles you have. Yeah. Whether you're writing poetry, whether you're solving scientific formulas, whether you're trying to understand the Bible. Mm-hmm. Um, and when it comes to the word of God, it's, I mean, it's better than learning facts in elementary right. school for obvious reasons, but also because 
you read, I don't know, a random Old Testament story about David, and you're trying to think about the bigger picture significance, why am I reading this history, but maybe one thing sticks out to you about David's character, and like God feeds you. You don't understand the, whole, the, whole, the point of the whole story. You don't understand what it has to do with Jesus. But you got, you got something where God actually reached out to you through this tiny part in the story. And you began to sketch in the barest outline of something yeah. that will yeah. be awesome later on. Yeah, yeah. and it, it really is the whole of that that's important for all of us. And enlightened Gnostics like Matt Chandler, ha, like to... Shots fired. Yeah, shots fired. Like to like to undermine the whole of the process, right? He's been enlightened and he understands that David and Goliath is a type of Jesus and Satan, right? And so he's going to stand up and say, you're not David. Jesus is David. But the reality is, hey, man, Every sports commentator knows. Yeah, look, it's just, scripture is, you're being just as narrow and small-minded about scripture as the person you think you're opposing. And the fact is, every school child knows, every sports commentator knows that, hey, one little boy with sticks and stones and God on his side is in the majority, can take on... Can take on giants. Can take on giants, and that's okay. And we can stand for what's right with God on our side and have courage and have faith. And that is a good lesson to draw from David and one that every little boy should learn to draw from David. And if you're not letting your little boys draw that lesson from David, then you're sinning against them. And if you're telling little boys and young men not to draw that lesson from David, you're sinning against them and against God, period. End of discussion. You have nothing to say to me about that. If you can go beyond that and see in light of the New Testament, the beauty of how this is a type of Jesus and what he has done, crushing the serpent's head under his foot, so much the better. We should be seeing Jesus in all of scripture, but we don't see Jesus in all of scripture to the exclusion of seeing the basic, simple moral of the story, <laughs> mm -hmm. right? And a lot of our learning of scripture works that way. We see and we learn the basic, obvious moral of the story of David, and then we start to see bigger picture things too. Can you explain a little bit more about why you sounded upset at Matt Chandler there? Because some of I our, am upset at Matt Chandler. Some of our listeners just might not understand the context or know quite. They're not. They're not veterans of this this battle. Yeah. So. Well. Okay. So Matt Chandler is a pastor, and he's done and said a lot of great things, and been an encouragement and helped to a lot of people in a lot of ways, including me. But there is this what would you say, gospel centrality movement where everything has to be yeah. about the gospel. Gospel-centered mm. preaching. Christ-centered. Uh, Christ-centered preaching. So everything yeah. has yeah. to be about the gospel and Jesus in such a way. Mm -hmm. We are going to make to, things about the meta-narrative at the expense of the narrative. In other words, exactly. yeah, yeah. God, God, it can't be that God wants you to like, hey, learn this, learn to trust me when you're scared and you've, fight things bigger that's than you. That's moralism. That's not gospel and that's, that's not That's Jesus. not the gospel. Right. right. And so if, you know, if you're teaching your people from David and Goliath that they should be like David and have faith to go out and sling stones at giants, you are sinning against your people. Yeah, because that, what that, you... <laughs> that is That is the explicit message. You are sinning against your people. <laughs> mm -hmm. And that's why I came on as strong and said the opposite. Right. Does he, I, I just have to wonder, Matt Chandler is just barely on my radar, but 
I, I wonder how he approaches like a kid's storybook, honestly, because you think of a fairy tale, right? They're going to teach the same lesson and sometimes like, hey, mm-hmm. don't be afraid. You're going to go fight big things. And as long as you have uh, courage. What's the point of a dragon story, right? Yeah. Yeah. I just wonder, like, is he going to let the fairy tale teach his kids? I think a lot of those principle. kinds of people I but don't, not the Bible. would, but not per, the would Bible. prefer that they get it from the fa- a fairy tale, from a Disney movie. That's, from, that's, I think what, that's right. Yeah. I, I think that's, that's bothering right. me. Yeah. Yeah, that bothers me, too. Is it absolutely true that there have been generations of people that have grown up in churches and never been taught to make the connection between David and Goliath and Jesus and Satan? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. Is it true that you can connect that to a certain kind of moralism that doesn't see Jesus as the center of scripture and or the gospel as the everything the Old Testament is leading and pointing toward? Yeah, that's true. But let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater. It's that's an equal and opposite error. Mm-hmm. And it's and it's such a a false bit of machismo well, to stand up and declaim against anyone that would be so gauche and stupid as to make that simple point from David and Goliath. What gets me about it, though, is that it actually, if you really want to make something all about Jesus, then why don't you respect it when in his word, he's like, learn this moral lesson? Because in, in other words, it's like it, I don't know. It, it, that, is the, that is the great irony, is, it, isn't it? Reduces it? The great Jesus, moralist of the like, Bible is, yeah, in yeah, fact, yeah, yeah. Jesus. Oh, it's all about Jesus. Great. Well, I'm going to go sit at Jesus' feet and he's going to tell me to do a bunch of moral things. But no, he's not because it's all about Jesus. That's but, what I just, you know. Yeah, but look. That's that, crazy. Yeah, and that's the thing it's that. crazy. Man, I don't know how many times I've heard somebody basically rob the Sermon on the Mount of all of its potency and power. <laughs> because what they do then. <laughs> is because they have no grid or framework to understand the moral teaching of Jesus. What they have to do is they have to say, the whole point of all of this moral teaching is that you can't do any of it, and therefore you need to trust Jesus and have faith, period, end of story. And there's nothing else to be learned, nothing else to be learned from the Sermon on the Mount, but you're dead in your sin and you can't do any of this, and so you need to trust Jesus for forgiveness of your sins. And that is such a simplistic, foolish, reductionistic understanding of the moral law and the moral teaching of Jesus in both testaments Mm -hmm. that it's just actively harmful. Well, it's disrespectful to Jesus. It's not respect for any teacher to sit above them like that. I mean, (laughs) there's Jesus. He's saying, do this. Like you better do this, and you're like, but what he really I means is, don't right. do this <laughs> because I you can't. can't. Do this. <laughs> I mean, it's it, it is true. So I was just reading an old sermon, which which was making the point that it, I think this is still true today, but it's not really our context. Maybe you guys correct me if I'm wrong, but people, Christians, liberal Christians who don't want anything to do with supernatural redemption, with miracles, would be like, well. Really what Christianity is, is just the Sermon on the Mount. It's just moral commands, like do this, do this, love, love, love. My definition of love, of course, trumping what the Bible actually says. But so you just reduce the Bible to the Sermon on the Mount. And so this preacher was responding to those people and saying, you're obviously paying no attention because Jesus, his purpose is to redeem people. Why do you think, what do you think the Beatitudes are? They're teaching you that God has to redeem you if you're going to obey him and that you have to rely on him totally. You can't get away from what Jesus is doing and the need to be redeemed and saved from your sins by just thinking that you can only focus on 
the do's and do nots. The do's and do nots. This morality that that pleases you, and that you can then divorce from who Jesus is and why he came. So you can't do either. Here's the thing about preaching the law, okay? When you preach the law, you're preaching it to people, some of whom have faith and some don't. Some of those who have faith have a very weak faith. Some of those who don't have faith think they have faith and are presumptuous. But what happens when you preach that law to people is it does convict them of sin. It does, it is life to the believer. It encourages them to walk in newness of life by faith and instructs them how to do that. The unbeliever feels the weight of that and it does its good work in so many different ways when you preach the fullness of it. Including reminding you that you can't. Including the reminder that you can't, which you do see modeled for us in scripture. At various times and places, but, but also guess what? including Not the reminder that, that you should. Yeah, which <laughs> that's right. Much more often is the reminder that you should than the reminder that you can't. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. And that should does its work. Yeah. Right. And so let's let the should do the work of should, because otherwise, all we end up doing instead of preaching the law and the gospel is explaining the law and the gospel, and that is not the same thing. Explaining how the gospel works is not explain is not preaching the gospel. Preaching the gospel in the New Testament is this is how you've sinned and this is how you need to repent, right? Repent and believe. Mm-hmm. You killed Jesus, repent and obey him. That's how the gospel is preached. Jesus is preaching the gospel of the kingdom when he says, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And so is John. And people will lose their minds over that because they're like, how could he be preaching the gospel because Jesus hasn't even been crucified yet? There's no gospel <laughs> to preach because the gospel is Jesus crucified for our sins. That's explaining how the gospel works. And it is the gospel. That is what Jesus has done. But repent and believe and actually repent and believe and obey. That's the good news. And that's what people need to hear. They don't need to hear long expositions about how it all works. They need that. We all need that. But we need the actual call to repentance and faith. The actual shoulds and Mm -hmm. should nots. Shalls and shall nots. Mm -hmm. I I feel like we should have another episode on this. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to Church of the King, baby. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so at the end of the day, What you need more than anything are faithful preachers and teachers that know the difference between explaining how the gospel works and preaching the gospel and the word of God to you in all of its fullness. That is going to unlock more of your Bible reading for you than absolutely anything else, is having somebody who understands the Bible and understands how to apply it to you, preaching and teaching you from the Bible so that you can imitate their example as you read. But don't let that discourage you in any way from giving yourself to reading the Bible for yourself. The more you read it, the more you trust God, the more you pray for understanding, the more you study the Bible in the light that God has given you and the light of how you've been taught to understand the Bible, the more rich even your ability to hear and sit under the faithful preaching of the word will be. And so what we started this episode doing and what how I think we wanna end it is just encouraging you guys to figure it out and go for it and to keep pushing ahead. If you have to do audio, do audio. One, five minutes of listening, one minute of listening is better than no minutes of reading. Mm -hmm. Right? And get a little bit in 
a day if that's all you can do. One minute of reading is better than zero minutes of reading. And the baby steps matter, especially as you're trying to form the habit of being daily in in the word and then get back up on your feet quickly. Don't yeah, we're not saying that five minutes isn't better than one minute and 20 minutes isn't better than five. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We're just saying get on your feet and get moving and take whatever baby steps are necessary. And if you're already in the word an hour a day, then great. Mm -hmm. Please please don't hear like, oh, I should be doing it less and and be more slovenly because actually (laughs) they're giving me permission to back (laughs) off. We think that there are a whole lot of people out there that have a, bad conscience about not being faithful in their Bible reading and just need some help and encouragement to get on their feet. But I think what I'm realizing as I listen to all of this is a lot of the bad conscience that I think I've had over the years that I think a lot of people have is because they expect those fires to be kindled every time. And I I think that's a really, again, helpful metaphor. Realize you're a lot of days just gathering kindling and that's okay. Yeah. You're just gathering materials. And a lot of times, actually, if you're doing it right, the way that, the, as Jake was just saying, the place where those fires are going to be lit will be under the preaching. That's if you right. have the expectation or the demand of God that you're going to be the one who's going to light a great spiritual fire through your great understanding, then not only will you not get that, but when you do get it, it will be deceptive and false. Yeah. And you need to, I mean, I don't want to make this unspiritual. Okay, because it is the Holy Spirit who must work in our hearts to understand the word and to apply it whenever and however that happens. But a lot of this is just, you need to think about it like any other discipline in your life. Do you work out every day or multiple days a week? Do you always feel like working out? Do you always go and feel like you've killed your workout? Did you always have a good number when you get on the scale? No, of course not, but you do it. You do it every day because you've got goals and you've got habits. You understand that there's no progress without sacrifice and that some days, those days where you're least motivated and feel like you barely made it through and are putting it in, end up being the most productive because you come back for the next workout or whatever it actually is in your life, whatever the discipline is, whether it's writing or, you know, you go and you plug away at it and you step back and you've made progress and you've muscled through and most days are going to be that way. But I think a lot of people actually do understand that on some level with worldly things. For some reason, when it comes to the Bible, we think, oh, well, I didn't make a slam dunk, so I guess basketball's not for me. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, no. Like, working through the fundamentals today was a grudge. Well, no. Look, fundamentals were a grudge for Michael Jordan and that's just the way it is. That's just part of the work. And part of the work of being a faithful Christian is on the days when you're just not feeling it, sticking to it and trusting God with that and not feeling, uh, turning it into a spiritual crisis because you weren't flying high above the rim today. Well, and what would, why would the Bible talk about faith if every time we did any kind of spiritual discipline, it felt great? Well, yeah. And so let's not reinterpret faith to mean something, a great feeling. Yeah. Right. Any more thoughts? I don't think so. Just, yeah. just do it. Just do it. Do do the <laughs> do the telescope and the what's the medium scope? <laughs> what is the medium scope? I don't know. I we can't. We can't call we, it eyes earlier. Yeah, <laughs> eyes. Having you, eyes. Have, use your eyes <laughs> and use and use the microscope. <laughs> you use microscope for both medium work and actually tiny work. I think. Yeah. Do what you can. I think. I think the thing to be said, maybe to sum up all that stuff, is just know what you're doing. I remember reading a little thing about how you know some guy made a big stink about how useless wikipedia was and then another guy fought back and said look 
Wikipedia may be like looking through a smudgy window, but as long as I know the window is smudgy, I can still see a lot of scenery. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that's kind of a good way to think about this. Telescopic only does so much. It doesn't do the same thing that microscopic does. Microscopic doesn't do the same thing that telescopic does. But if you understand what you're getting, if you understand, well, there's no way that I could have possibly gotten all the details there and probably I actually missed some things, then you can wield that the tool of going fast effectively. Mm -hmm. And if you understand, well, I'm really zeroing in on this, but that means I need to remember the context and I need to understand the bigger picture, then you can wield that tool effectively. But if you're just blindly doing whatever you're used to without giving it much thought, then that's silly. Sound of Sanity Today, produced by me, executive produced by Jacob, me associate produced by Benjamin Solzer. Go to patreon.com forward slash sound of sanity to listen to Sanity Bites episodes, our special bonus kind of episode things that we record, to listen to all of our skits in one place. You just want to listen to 20 he-manologians in a row, then I pity you, but you can do it <laughs> for a low, low price to see behind-the-scenes videos. A lot of fun stuff there, and we really appreciate the support. Try to make it worth your while. It's patreon.com forward slash sound of sanity. Until next time, folks. Stay sane.